This is NegotiateX Podcast, show number 84, part A. Listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I'm your co-host and co-founder, Nolan Martin. As always, good friend, co-host, co-founder, Aram Denisian is joining me today. Aram, want to kick it off? I will. Thanks, Nolan. Good to see you. I feel like we should be starting with some sort of music. I don't know if it's kind of Blue Bloods or something, but we've got a treat for you today, folks. Adrian Goodwin is a 19-year veteran of the New York Police Department, serving as a second-grade detective, investigator, and hostage negotiator. She's also an adjunct faculty member at John Jay College, an award-winning author, dedicated educator, and sought-after speaker. In 2022, Adrian received the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award, the highest tier awarded for volunteer service throughout one's lifetime. She has also been recognized as an International World Civility Ambassador for her cross-cultural readiness and stand for justice and peace through civil dialogue. Committed to bridging gaps between law enforcement and communities, she conducts workshops impacting students and speaking at various events. Adrian also chairs forums on community relationships and youth empowerment, showcasing her commitment to change law enforcement perceptions and promote diversity and inclusion. A devoted mother of four children and wife, Adrian is rooted in faith, family, and community. She earned a Master of Education from Cambridge College and holds an honorary doctorate degree of leadership letters. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be on Negotiation X. And you've had quite a busy fall. We were talking on the pre-piece, but we actually delayed this recording because congratulations, you got promoted and you just crossed the 19-year threshold. Amazing. It's so exciting. I don't even know where the time has gone. <laughs> First it was like, okay, when am I going to get a probation? And then you hit the, you know, the peak and now you begin to go downhill. So so it's, it's been a great, great ride. Good, great ride. good. Well, th well, thanks for making the time to be here. Absolutely. Well, Adrian, thank you for joining us today uh, and for your service. Wondering if we might start by asking you to share about your journey in the NYPD. Were you always destined for law enforcement? Um, so my, I'll go back from nine years old, um, growing up in an urban community, a single parent household, um, during a time at the height of the crack epidemic. And I always share that at the age of nine, I knew the distinction between fireworks and gunshots. I would hear them ring out all throughout the year. But I was a person that found the glimpse of hope that I can be all that I can be. And I linked on those that I saw serving in my community, whether it was the teachers, the policemen, or the firemen. Fast forward, after graduating, I became a teacher. No one knows that. I was a second grade school teacher a couple of years before transitioning to law enforcement, but it has been an amazing journey thus far. And when I discovered Facebook many moons ago, there was a classmate from seventh grade who said, that's all you talked about in seventh grade was being a police officer. So hmm. here I am. 
Very cool. Pretty amazing. And I love that you spent some time as a teacher. I think if you can be an elementary school teacher in this country, practically anywhere, you can probably do almost anything. Yes, I agree. Adrienne, as a black woman, what challenges have you had to overcome in your career? And are there ways that your gender and race have made you a more effective police officer? Yeah, I would definitely say race. Um, growing up in an urban setting, seeing things that maybe most children don't see and experience, that leads for me to be a more empathetic police officer, more understanding and caring about other people issues. I wouldn't say as a black woman, I face challenges. I would say as a woman overall, I think most women can share in how do you navigate this landscape of a male dominated profession, uh, maybe working two, 10 times harder to prove yourself, finding yourself in spaces where you are the only one, right? In 2023, we're still saying the first police commissioner, the first this, the first that in law enforcement. So even though we have made strides, I think we still have work to do, but it has been a great journey thus far. And I think that my diverse background and experiences definitely lend to, to being a more compassionate police officer. Can I ask you a follow-up, which is if you were given advice to a younger version of yourself 20 years ago, or imagine a young person that is listening to this and wants to embark on a similar path that you've taken, yeah. what would that advice be? I would say to find a mentor. I wish I would have had a mentor 20 years ago. I am the first generation law enforcement police officer in my family. So I didn't really have anyone to lean on for guidance. If I can go back and just add a, a title in there, I would have loved to have been like a commanding officer of a precinct. But if I would have had that guidance, someone could have let me down to, hey, study, take the test, move up the ranks. So I had to navigate this space all on my own. So mentorship is very important. I'm going to ask a, another follow on, and this is the one of those surprises that we we said we might throw some in. Do you do some mentoring for young officers today? Is that part of the responsibilities you just adopted naturally? Yeah, everything that I do now is centered around mentorship and empowerment through my teaching as a faculty, through my activism um, and community service. I'm always lending my um, skill set and just experiences because people only know about law enforcement what they see on TV. So I. I love to give a broader perspective of all of the amazing opportunities that law enforcement um, does present, which people just don't know. I always get a, a, the parents that say, you should have been a recruit because I probably would have signed up <laughs> and been a police officer. Like, you're really good. I'm like, oh, so many great opportunities. But yeah, definitely through my my work in, in service in the community. The NYPD yeah. under Jack Cambria was one of the first to establish hostage negotiations as a formal activity and develop some of the leading training around it. Gentleman Jack, that is what we call him. He is <laughs> simply the epitome of just what a thoughtful leader is, very kind-hearted, um, compassionate. So to be able to be a part of the team under his leadership is like a dream and to be taught and led by him for so many years before he retired. And when I think about the two things that are the most important in my life, he had a direct impact on that. And that was one, being a part of the greatest police department of the world, hostage negotiation team, but also my uh, faculty tenure at John Jay College. He had a part to play in that as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Jack, if, if you decide to listen to this podcast, which you should. Um, thank you. Thank you for your leadership. What are some of your experiences, both successes and failures? The collaborative work. 
of negotiators, being around people who come from diverse backgrounds and experiences, whether it's different challenges that they have faced or depression or divorce, those are some of the great successes. Failures, I haven't had any as of yet. I have seen them from afar, but that's pretty much it. Can you tell us about your first time in a crisis or hostage situation that you're doing this for real after probably going through quite a bit of training? What was that like? Yeah, so I was I was coming into work and I, I get the call that there's a barricaded, emotionally disturbed person with the firearm inside of an apartment. And this was the first time that the job had used a drone an emotional disturbed case. Just think about like downtown Brooklyn, a city where you have high rise buildings. The drone was able to see inside of the apartment. They was able to see where he placed the gun, where his movements were. And we were able to communicate through the door and through the phone. That was a five hour negotiation of this man who was going through a divorce battle, custody battle. So when you're on, you're on, like all of the training begin to kick in. Um, you know, you do your assessment, you gather your intel, things that can kind of lead you to get this person to move in a direction and influence his behavior to come out, which he did after five hours. And he, you know, went to the hospital and, and got the help that he needed. But I always share this piece of the story that I kind of linked on that I got from his brother was that he was a great father. He was a great father. He was a great soccer coach. And that is what I told him. Your son needs you. He needs you here. He has a game coming up. At first, yeah, no, he'll be all right. But at some point, it struck a chord with him. And that was one of the, the, the moving factors of him surrendering. And that was, that was a great moment. And uh, maybe about six months later, I got a phone call from the American Suicide Association. And they awarded myself and about 10 other police officers from various jobs for saving his life. So it was called the Hope Award. Wow. And I remember getting that phone call and just being overwhelmed with emotions, you know, to really take part in someone's life. That takes a lot oh, yeah. for a person to really suppress your emotions, to deal and help someone navigate through their own. So that was a great job. Well, and it got me thinking, Adrian, to what you were saying, just a couple of questions before around just the role of empathy and how having grown up seeing a lot of things that a lot of other folks just don't see increase this capacity within you for, yeah. for for empathy and connection. I would think, especially in the situation you just described, that's a that's a fairly essential characteristic or quality to bring to the table. Absolutely. You know, leaning on empathy, you know, just understanding what someone else is going through, understanding their perspective can help you navigate, you know, having this positive negotiation, getting them to comply. That takes time. That takes a lot of patience. Hmm. That takes reflecting, you know, because sometimes that dialogue is not always friendly, depending on what's being said from the other party. So taking that, but still moving the goalpost forward. Absolutely. Takes a lot of resilience. Well, talking about <laughs> connecting with people who have a very different perspective, and it might even be a hostile conversation sometimes. Yeah. You're a mother of four and you're married to a former NYPD detective. So what's more difficult, <laughs> hostage negotiations or the negotiations you get at home? Um, and, and, and on a more, maybe more serious note, what are the skills that bridge those two aspects of your life? Look, 
anytime the person is closest to you, we know that's the hardest the form of negotiation. <laughs> Funny, but true, right? Funny, but true. It's we're negotiating each and every day. And I, I bring no skill sets in because as a mom, you know, you're wearing these different hats. You have to be empathetic. You have to understand the child's understanding of where they may see things. But a perfect example, that's such a great question. Just two days ago, I'm a mom of four, but we have twins. The other two are in college. The twin girls were having their moment and one was extremely emotional and I was able to sit back and allow them to navigate. And let me just tell you guys, I was impressed with the vernacular and just how composed they were. And they're only nine years old. And they said, well, you make me feel like this. I feel like you pick on me. And then Mia goes and she says, can you tell me exactly what it is that I did to you so I don't have to do it again? Wow. And she said, but last time she said, no, but can we, can we talk about what took place today? And I was just like, okay. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> awesome. As, as another parent of a bunch of kids, I'm impressed by that. How encouraging to see kids adopting one, the language, as you said, that vernacular, but also the composure around kind of the process and saying, Hey, we can talk about what happened yeah. last time, but right now we're talking about what's occurred today. And let's, let's stay there. To me, that's, I mean, that's just masterful. I and mean, that's very mature process management that even, you know, senior corporate leaders struggle with sometimes. It goes to show you that anyone can learn negotiation skills. It's about the application of it and really being intentional each and every day to show up in spaces, to really give people the space to share their feelings and have them navigate through it. So I had to go like this. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So what does it take to build an effective negotiation team beyond the skills of individual negotiators? Are there any examples of how you've seen the hostage negotiation team navigate internal negotiations to successfully handle difficult situations? So first, how to build an effective negotiation team and then how did they yeah. navigate that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not in uh, leadership as far as in the negotiation space. I'm one of the um, negotiators. Uh, but outside of that skill set is definitely building a team that is committed to the mission, um, that can work collaboratively. Having a team of guys who have different experiences, I think some of the challenges that I have seen is not too many female negotiators. You know, there was a job that happened in another borough and the supervisor said, you know what, let's get Goodwin. You know, she has that more nurturing side. She has a great tone. I think she'll be able to, to deliver on this job. But I think that can be a disadvantage for a lot of negotiation teams is not having enough female um, negotiators. And then that just kind of adds to the enrichment of the team. Is having, you know, maybe a wife, maybe someone who went through a divorce, maybe someone who had depression, financial crisis, job issues, you know, that supervisor can then pull from all of these different situations in order to find the best fit to lead that role as the lead negotiator. And we know that sometimes the roles get switched out. Sometimes you have to put the next person on, um, but that teamwork is definitely, definitely the, the key. When have you seen it just go poorly. Either someone didn't like the role that they were in and they just didn't try and, you know, facilitate the process. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Um, sometimes when you have too many different hands in a situation who don't know how to just step away and allow the person who's trained in the area 
do the job. I have seen that go left or even a negotiator stepping up and really gaining the momentum to getting this person to, you know, building a great rapport. And then you have someone that may blurts out, like, just come on, you know, and now we have to start from ground zero again. So when you don't have people that's on the same team, <laughs> right, or people that feel like they can they can do the work, but they don't have the patience, then it prolongs the job. And I've seen that happen quite a few times. You've got military connections, and obviously Nolan and I both come from that. The idea of kind of unity of command, singular voice, so important. And I, I think it just gets back to you know being able to train and and the discipline that needs to happen around. Uh, procedure around process around negotiation mm -hmm. uh, process and the trust that's built within your teams as well right the trust that you are a skilled negotiator you have 19 years of service i need to let you go ahead and do what it is that you do and lead this but i think sometimes too it could be a lack of confidence from that negotiator hmm. it's not easy when the lights are on you and you have to take the lead and, and some of these um, intense situation. So, you know, just believing in yourself that you have the training and, you know, at each job, you're going to get better and better at it, but just stay a student, you know, stay teachable, stay coachable, and you'll, you'll build that level of confidence. Yeah. And Adrian, I love where you just went with that. So it may, another question here around self-regulation, think so much around so many of the times when we've had someone with your background on this program, we talk about the things that you may do externally, you know, that you're doing to a person in crisis or a hostage take or something. You just said is there is this piece around my own self-confidence in those high stress situations. How do you self-regulate? How do you self-manage so you can show up again in just an incredibly stressful, high stakes situation in the best way possible for yourself? First is taking a deep breath taking a deep breath, assessing where we are, what are the goals and what are we trying to achieve? And just truly keeping the end goal in mind. And every step that we take, it moves us forward. That's how I kind of just stay grounded, centered, not taking things personal in negotiations because it's not about me. It's about finding this mutual beneficial arrangement to, hey, one, I need you to come out the apartment. I need you to come off the bridge. I need you to put the knife down. Regardless of any words that are exchanged from this person's standpoint, it's not directed at me. Right. And I just have to understand that. And I think if people just took a moment to say, hey, it's not about me. How, how can we get to the end goal? and come up with a resolution. Yeah, that's a beautiful statement. It has such broad application um, professionally and personally. You're, you're a college faculty member as well. How do you integrate your own thinking on professional experiences in conflict resolution into the criminal justice courses that you teach? Yeah, so I'm in a law and police science um, department and one of the courses that I teach is police and diversity. So it's peacekeeping in a multicultural society, you know, just looking at cross-cultural issues and ethics and biases and prejudice. And at the root of all of that, we talk about 
communication, because that's key when interacting with those that come from um, diverse backgrounds. At the end of the day, people want to be respected. So able to share those conflict resolution skills and de-escalation and verbal judo, right? Those are some of the things that we discuss in class, but then also to lean on my practical experience as a negotiator really adds for an enriched course around bridging a gap between law enforcement and the community and really breaking down some of those myths and stereotypes on and how can we move forward as, as one. Did you say verbal judo? <laughs> what is that? Oh, verbal judo is um, a, a form of de-escalation. It's how you start a, a dialogue, right? That's communicate. You know, if you start at 10, you can never really de-escalate. Yeah. So we always wanted to increase those steps one by one or level by level, I should say. So it's just the way that we communicate with people that we may come in contact with. Because if you start at a level 10 as a police officer, how do you de-escalate that? Right. So we always want to make sure that we are building on our active listening skills, building our rapport and trying to keep things at level playing field when we're interacting with the community. Thanks. Yeah. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I have to jump in and end today's podcast for part A of the show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast if you haven't already. And also join us next week for part B of this awesome interview. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.